Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Atlanta. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. It's another flower hour. Amanda. (laughs) It's going well. How are you today? I'm good. I'm very, very good. So tell me, what have you been up to? Well, I had a scholarship dinner I had to bake desserts for, and I share the responsibility with another baker. And we're always, every year, trying to decide what we could do that won't be super complicated because we usually have 150 to 200 guests that we need to bake for. And it's a Portuguese event, so we have to do something Portuguese. Well, I decided to do this awesome, awesome, no-bake, no-cook dessert that I think everyone should try. It's something everyone loves, and it would be really fun to make with kids. It's called serradura, which means sawdust. I know. You're already, you're already <laughs> so drooling. So appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sawdust pudding. And as if you follow me, you know that uh, Portuguese desserts have really whimsical names. So what the sawdust refers to is crushed cookies. And what you take are these Maria cookies, which are a really plain, almost vanilla, slightly sweet, really crisp cookie. You could use any crisp cookie you like. Like um, Biscoff? Is it similar to like a Biscoff? Yeah. Yeah. I think not as probably less fat in this cookie. It's more okay. more lean. Uh, they're really popular when you're a kid in a Portuguese household. But also, they also exist in other Latino cultures. And I even believe they're invented in England when I was doing some research. So you can find something similar in a lot of different different cuisines. So you take those cookies, you blitz them. And I would say for the ratios, I'm going to give you the recipe right now. So one package of Maria cookies, um, which should be around 200 grams, you blitz those until they're powdery. And then you, in your mixer, take one pint of heavy whipping cream, and you beat that until it's almost stiff. Once it's almost stiff, you're going to pour in a whole can of condensed milk. And then you're going to keep whipping until it's it's stiff. And you get something that you can spread easily. All right. Now you have choices. You can do this in one beautiful, clear trifle bowl. Um, and everyone takes scoops of. Or it's really nice to do individual servings. And you can do it in like wine glasses. Or I mean, any kind of glass you have that you would love. And you just layer... Uh, the crushed cookies, uh, the cream, crushed cookies, cream. And then I like to sprinkle the top with some cinnamon, but you could also do some uh, toasted almonds. But it's so delicious. There's something so lovely about condensed milk. It needs. I, I just love it. This sounds fantastic. And I love that you could assemble it while your guests were around. Like it's not, yeah. or you could do it before if you wanted to. Yep. Is it okay to let it chill for a while? Yeah. Yeah, so I noticed that if you do thin layers of cookie, right, they're going to rehydrate and they're going to become soft, which is very delicious. But if you want that contrast between crunch and cream, then do a thicker layer of cookie because then the the outer layer of the cookie will soften and the center will will remain uh, crunchy. Smart, smart. Yeah, I want that crunch, so I'd have to do the thick cookie. Yeah, do it. Well, it sounds delicious. So, Amanda, tell me what you've been up to this week. Well, I'll tell you what I've been up to. I ordered myself some chocolates, and I ate them all. They were so delicious. I ordered chocolate from Ginger Elizabeth, and I know that you're totally familiar with her, right? Yay, Ginger. Yeah, so I knew we were having her on as our guest today, and I thought, well, before I start talking with her, I should probably taste some of her products. So... I treated myself and I'm telling you, Jeremiah, that chocolate was amazing. The texture was perfection. I loved the shell was super, super thin. And then the inside of the chocolates, the ganache part was the smoothest, most perfect ganache of your dreams. I was so impressed and I can't wait to talk to her and get to know her more. I'm so, so happy you've gotten to experience what I've been experiencing for years. So Ginger is the owner and chef of Ginger Elizabeth Chocolates, 
And her first boutique opened here in Sacramento, and she's just opened her second store in San Francisco. And she's all about chocolate, but I actually found out about her through macarons. Now, my friends would bring her macarons around, and I didn't even know what they were back then. And I tasted one, and I was like, stop. Everyone just (laughs) stop. What is this? And then became my obsession with macarons. And this is kind of before they really started to take over Instagram and the whole thing. And I have to say, once I started to try like Lauderay or other macarons from France, I will always prefer gingers. I have to say, though, I've had Pierre Hermes and hers and Pierre Hermes are like technically like super similar. And I know that she she's based her recipe. I think she's inspired by Pierre Hermes. Anyway, her macarons are perfection. The technique, the everything you want in a macaron is there. It's just so, so special. And her chocolates are amazing. She does amazing events. Um, she's just such an inspiration. And I cannot wait for us to talk to her. Um, but she grew up here, out here in Northern California. She went to the CIA in New York. And she's traveled all over, worked with some amazing chocolatiers. And yeah, we got to find out everything she knows about chocolate. Ginger, welcome to Flower Hour. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Hi, Ginger. Thanks so much for coming on. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank you so much. So it's almost Easter. Can you give us a window of what it's like in your workshop? Busy. Lots of, <laughs> lots of ribbon, lots of beautiful, you know, different ribbons, lots of bunnies, lots of peanut butter filled eggs and golden eggs and a little craziness. I bet that's fun though. Is it? It is fun. Um, it's a little, cal- it's much calmer than Christmas, but it's still, you know, definitely a bump in, in busy and a little bit of a busy season. So it's good. It's fun. Um, it's fun to go through all the different seasons and see all the different products that we make. Absolutely. Well, can you tell us how this all began? Where did you fall in love with chocolate and baking? That is actually a good question. When I really try to think back to where I fell in love with chocolate specifically, I I don't I, I actually don't really know. Where I fell in love with baking, I do know that. Um I um I remember specifically one day I was like eight or nine and I went down to the stream. I lived in the country up um, like Apple Hill near Tahoe in the foothills. And um, so went down to the stream with my dog and we went and picked blackberries. And my mom used to make, you know, or still does, she makes amazing things. But I remember um, just bringing these blackberries home and she came home after work and whipped them into like some amazing blackberry cobbler. And I just remember just, I love the instant gratification of dessert. So that's, um, how I really, uh, one of my first memories of, you know, really just loving food and, and how you can just take things and make them, make them into something totally different. That's such a special story. Yeah. Thank you. Well, well, I was going to say, sorry, as far as chocolate, I just love the science of it. And I think I got more into chocolate. Um, probably when I was around 16 or 17, I just started really falling in love with the science of it. Chocolate is so scientific that I'll be totally honest, it kind of scares me off because even though people think bakers are super precise, I feel like chocolate is next level with that precision. So it's really interesting to me that as a teenager, you came to love it in a very chaotic time in life. You liked that science part. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, it is. It's funny. It is a little chaotic. That's for sure. I like chaos. Now, so tell us, so it kind of started out with enjoying the instant gratification and and enjoying the baked goods of your mom and then getting into chocolate in high school. And then at what point did you decide to make it a career? How did you transition it from a hobby to an actual career? Well, I started um, taking classes my senior year, my junior and senior year, I started taking like local chocolate classes and, and things like that. And, um, and just really wanting to know how to temper. So then I went to, um, then I started going to, I went to a junior college to learn how to do culinary, the culinary side. And then, but all my jobs I did um, were in baking. So when I was learning the culinary side of things, I all, like I said, all my jobs were baking. And um, 
I just, I, I don't know when I specifically chose this as a career. I feel like it chose me. I, I, I have been wanting to bake. I've been baking since I was six. Um, and in the kitchen, I was making trifles from the time I was nine by myself. And then, you know, uh, making, I remember my economics project was opening a bakery in high school. So, um, I think it was always kind of this dream of mine or something that I knew I had to do. And, um, I think, yeah, by the time I was 23, I was really done working for people. I had worked around the country and, um, I was, I don't know. I just, I wanted to start my own thing. So I knew I always wanted to, but it really, I really started thinking about it a lot more um, in my early twenties. And I love the story that I've heard about how you started your business in Sacramento with a rented space and just a few pieces of equipment. Can you tell us that story and how then you're, you've now opened a second shop in San Francisco. I mean, that's an incredible that you've made all these dreams come true. I was working at a restaurant in Eldorado Hills at the time. And so I went and talked to the bartender, the bartender, Dan, and he, I said, Hey, where do you think I could go to rent some space? You know? And so he knew people in Sacramento. So, cause this was uh, the, I worked up in Eldorado Hills at the time. So he knew some people in Sacramento. So I went to this place called, um, it was called Mulvaney's catering. And I went and I talked to Patrick and he said, can I have it? Can I rent from you? And he said, sure. $300 a month. You can have the space in the morning, clean up your mess, and I'll give you a metro rack too. This is before he had a, re- uh, that before that place was, a, before he turned his catering company into a restaurant. So I, um, I did that, um, and for a couple of years. And then from there, I met my business partner and we ended up, um, growing the company into a retail space. And then we've had that for 10 years and, uh, after six years, we had a, we started, um, we opened the warehouse. And then um, four years later, after the warehouse, we opened San Francisco. It's been a lot of work, um, but I don't know. I had a lot of help and I had a lot of, had a lot of great employees throughout the years. And um, it's, it's worked. Well, you also are offering classes. And I've had the pleasure of taking your macaron class a couple years ago. And it totally changed and improved my, my skills. <laughs> Can you share some of your macaron tips um, for our listeners, some that you think are the most important maybe? Well, I think piping is the most important um, thing. I mean, it's one of the most important elements of making those cookies are very hard, but I think practice piping. I mean, it's it's funny because at home, you know, it's not something you're going to do eight hours a day, you know, and so you do, you do have to practice piping uh, your macarons to get um, a really nice shape. And as far as um, a few things, I mean, I let my eggs rest out on the counter overnight. Um, and I, I don't use egg white powder. Um, I use an Italian meringue uh, base. And I think getting a really good almond flour and not going to the grocery store and getting one, it's really important probably getting one online um, from like Amoretti or some of these other companies that have a really, really fine powder. And um, it all has to do with your ingredients on macarons. If your mac, if your almond powder is wet and just naturally from the almonds, just in the fields, like you get like a batch with the more moisture in them, it can give you a lot of problems. So I think it's the, uh, I think it's um, just really good ingredients. And um not over mixing and under mixing. I mean, it, right. Remember every step is so important. Every step yep. is so important, but I, I say for people making macarons at home that um, getting good ingredients is, is pretty darn important, you know? And I remember too, one of the window, the big eye opening windows was when you talked about the meringue not being too stiff. Am I remembering that right? Like mm-hmm. it still needed some flow. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, be broken or chunky, you know, and your meringue's chunky. It's, it's not good. Um, then it'll leave little kind of chunks in your batter. So yeah, having a creamy, we just, we kind of call it, yeah, like creamy and nice consistency, um, for your macaron. And I think, um, some people maybe turn the whites on too quickly before they add their, before they add their sugar. Um, and they're over mixing it before they even add their sugar. So I've seen that, 
Um, you know, it's something we try not to do. And that's how you can get a really chunky meringue too. Um, so making sure just to get this very, you know, I add my sugar right when the egg whites, you can see the whisk and the whisk um, can hold a very slight line for a few seconds. That's when I add my sugar just to make sure it doesn't get overmixed. That's super helpful. And I remember you saying too, if you've done it right, you don't have to necessarily bang the pans. Is that, am I remembering that right as well? Yeah. I mean, and it depends on your ingredients, but um, sometimes you'll have to knock the pans down depending on uh, the day, the humidity and all that and how you, and how you mix it. It's, it's a good controller because if you overmix it and you can just pipe it and then they just start spreading out of nowhere, you know, because you overmixed your batter, you've got these really flat kind of pancakey looking macarons. And if you overmix, you can get hollow shells. And if you undermix, you can get hollow shells. You can get hollow shells from either. So, um, <laughs> yeah, they're lovely. They're lovely little cookies, but they are so good when you get them right. They are very good. And it's so awesome that you're shipping yours now. Was that hard to figure out or is that, how has that been? Um, I think it's good. We found um, something that, um, we found a packaging that worked well for us. And yeah, we're just trying it out. I think it's going really well though. And we've been doing a lot of um, testing on the shipments and, um, you know, I think it's great. And I think people in California can get them a little bit easier than ever, everywhere else. But, um, I, you know, one day for macarons, I really like the one day shipping. Cause you know me, I'm like way into freshness. So I always really struggled with putting these on the online shipping, but I did it and, um, it's going really well. And, um, yeah, I'm excited about it. Well, I think this is a lot of good macaron info and it's definitely one of those mysterious baking things for, our listeners, and, and at times for me, um, when you talk about the chunky meringue, I'm like nodding my head like, oh, yeah, I've definitely been there with the chunky meringue. Um, and I also follow you on Instagram, and I see one of your macaron concoctions are ice cream sandwiches. And I'd love to hear more yeah. about how that came about. They look amazing. Um, that came about uh, 10 years ago when I was extremely worried about how hot it was in Sacramento. And I felt like our chocolate sales were kind of going down and I was worried about it. And so the best thing, you know, about macarons is that they don't freeze. Um, they have a lot of sugar in them. So they tend, they tend to freeze a little bit, but not, but just in, uh, just enough to where if you, if you took a, um, like a chocolate chip cookie and you baked it and you froze it, you cannot put your teeth through it. But macarons are different. You can freeze them and you can still put your teeth through them because they don't freeze as solid because they have a lot of sugar in them. I just put ice cream in the center <laughs> because we needed, um, you know, we needed to have something for people in the summertime here in Sacramento. And that's how that was born. Um, but they've come a long way. We've come a long way with them. We've learned a lot. And now I'd say that, you know, they're a big part of what we do and they're really yummy. I love them. Oh my gosh. They are seriously out of this world. And if you're in San Francisco, Sacramento area, you have to stop and get one like insane. So good. So good. Is the salted caramel yeah. always available or is it just seasonal? No, the salty caramel is always available. And then we have our ice cream menu coming out um, April 7th. And we have a free ice cream tasting in Sacramento and San Francisco boutiques that day from 10 to 2. So it'll be really nice. People can come taste the new pints of ice cream that we offer. Um, and then, um, yeah, the ice cream sandwiches will be available starting that day. And we have um, five different ice cream sandwiches on the menu. Um six months out of the year. And then the other six months we have the salty caramel. Can you tell us what the flavors will be this year for the sandwiches? Yeah. Yeah. We have a, um, I'm still deciding on one, but I know we're going to have, we'll always have the pistachio, which we use pistachios from Fitty Mint Farms. And then we have the salty caramel and we use salt from Jacobson sea salt off the coast of Oregon. We're going to have, um, Coffee Manufactory and Dandelion Cocoa Nib uh, ice cream filled 
delicious sandwich. So that what that is, is it's um, going to be a cocoa nib shell and it has a cold infused, uh, a cold infused coffee with cocoa nib ice cream and toffee sauce in it. So that's one of our um, new, new ones. We have a, um, our almond rocher ice cream sandwich, which is a chocolate shell. And then it has um, vanilla bean ice cream in the middle with fudge sauce and it is dipped in velvet chocolate and nuts. It sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one's very popular. And then we also have um, a ginger snap macaron with a uh, lemon ice cream with a lemon custard ice cream. Oh, they sound so good. And I, I'm, it's just amazing shows how amazing your technique is that you're able to not only are macarons just hard on their own, but you are have found a way to incorporate other ingredients into the macaron shells and still be successful. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the ginger snap shell. I have to say that was a it was a pretty, it was a pretty hard thing to come about. And it's and it's and it's um, lovely. When you're testing recipes like that, and maybe they take a long time, would you at, what's that process like for you through like the journey of feeling like, Oh gosh, should I just give up? How do you keep going when you, when you are um, feeling discouraged? Um, sometimes they say it's not worth it. I don't think this is going to work with this technique, but if I, if I almost am there, then I'll keep working for it. I'll keep working towards it. Um, like I made a graham cracker macaron the other day with wheat flour and, um, and honey and it worked. It wasn't perfect. So it's, Normally, if I get something that works and it's not perfect and I know I can perfect it, then that's fine. If it's something that just totally blows up and I'm like, okay, maybe we'll try it one more time. And if that doesn't work, then we kind of just move on to the next idea. I have so many ideas. So if I spent, you know, a lot of time on something that's not going to work, I wouldn't have any time left in the day. So I normally get a sense that it is going to work and then I keep refining it from there, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think once you, I mean, all I do is create recipes. That's pretty much my job now. So once you know the rules, you can kind of break the rules and you can kind of mess with things and kind of create your own recipes, your own formulas, your own, um, you know, and that your own recipes basically. And I mean, and that's how, how I do all my ganaches. They're not from a book. They're not from any chocolatier. Like I basically, um, I have an X and Y axis on my computer of this spreadsheet and I nerd out <laughs> and I basically look at my percentages on both uh, the X and the Y axis and I figure out, um, you know, what I, what I want. Cause there's certain things I'm looking for in a ganache, right? So that's, that's kind of what I do. So I have tools like that to help me not, um, I guess get discouraged. I'm a little discouraged on one recipe right now that I'm making, which is a bourbon, the bourbon brown sugar bonbon and the ganache. I'm using a new, the new brown sugar chocolate from Valrona, which is called Orly's and I'm, I'm having a hard time with it. So I'm, we're, I'm running my last test, my last test until I, before I give up today. And I think it's actually going to work. So. Okay. Cause it sounds delicious. Yeah, it is really good. That's great. We'll have our fingers crossed for you. So I'm curious because you mentioned that most of your job is recipe testing. How much time do you spend like in a normal day? Is that truly what you're, you're spending most of your time on is recipe testing and development? Is that what it, what it looks like? Yeah, we do a lot of that. My day looks a lot like kind of running around to the stores, making sure they're doing good um, in here I do things like this <laughs> and, um, you know, promoting the business. And I, I don't know, I, I think I do quite a bit of recipe testing um, and getting things um, where, you know, I want to perfect them more and more and more. Um, I do that, I don't know, probably 20% of the time, I'd say. And then the other time I'm either in the kitchen or... Check, you know, talking to my managers in meetings and just making sure and coming up with not just recipes, but I guess just ideas, events, things like that. It seems like a very cool place to be where you get to do a lot of the creative thinking of the business part from the recipes to the events. So I think that's really seems like a very dynamic way to spend your time. Yeah, it's it's good. It's it's busy, but it's rewarding. And yeah, it's awesome. 
One thing that struck me when I was at your your warehouse, your workshop in West Sacramento was you had a sign that said work life balance. And as a as an owner of such a successful business, what does that mean to you? And how do you what advice can you give to other business owners? Well, it's a value of mine. Do I get to reach it all the time? Not necessarily. Um, <laughs> but I just think it's something that every, we work I work towards daily, you know. I mean, um and I hope that my, you know, I get a, my, my staff at, gets to have a work-life balance because in all in all, they're a better employee um, if they do. And um, so, I mean, I think that would, it would be it. Just making sure people feel semi-refreshed when they're coming back to work. It's like during the holidays, it's, I do have to say it's pretty darn hard, but I guess it's just a work in progress always. So it's nice to have a sign up to remind you that that's what you're working towards. I loved it. I think it just spoke so much about how you envision um, the world that you've created. That was really special. Thank you. So what other classes do you have coming up this year? Um, Well, I'm not totally sure. I want to add a few more. Um, But right now I have... um, I have a macaron. So I have, I, I, I have demonstration classes and then I have hands-on classes. So I have a macaron class um, that is, I think we sold like 60 tickets. So we have two classes back to back. And so I'm going to be um, doing that. So it's just going to be a demonstration on the macarons. And then, um, and then you get recipes and things like that. And then I, we have a chocolate tasting in Sacramento coming up. That's kind of all I have. So I am going to be adding some more very soon because we just had our cupcake, uh, our Easter cupcake class, and that was really successful and fun. So I'm looking forward to adding some more classes, whether it be an ice cream class or a tart class or something fun like that. Those are awesome ideas. I'm such a sucker for piping. And I thought your design for the piping on the Easter cupcakes that I saw on Instagram was so beautiful and very unique too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's just good old, good old figure eight enlarged. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something, but it's funny cause you see rosettes a lot and then you see kind of like the, I don't know, it's like a birthday swirl or yeah. something that I, yeah, you see that a lot. And then just, a slight variation and it's so new and fresh. It's like, Oh, how wonderful, you know? And then, like you said, it's just a figure eight, but still something new and different for us to see. Um, well, I'm dying to get to chocolate. So if you guys don't mind, I want to shift gears to chocolate for a little bit. We've been talking a lot about tempering chocolate on flower hour recently. I feel like it's been coming up and, you're the person to talk to about this. How do you prefer to temper chocolate? What method do you like to use the most? I have these wonderful large machines that um, temper a lot of the chocolate for us. But if I'm, if I'm tempering, which we temper all the white chocolate here by hand. So if we are going to temper chocolate, um, I think the, the fastest way we use is um, seeding. Um, I think the most thorough way to temper chocolate, however, is tabling. So we use those in different ways, um, depending on what we're doing. We'll use, um, if we're making praline or we're making praline and we're slabbing praline out, which is um, nut paste with cocoa butter and chocolate, we do have to temper that. And that's all done by, that's all done by, mar- uh, by tabling. So on, on the marble agitation on the marble. I'm very unfamiliar with tabling other than just watching a couple of YouTube videos. Do you take the temperature as you're doing it or is it more by feel or sight? What is that like? You can take the temperature. Um, it is more by feel when you, when you know your chocolates, I mean, you might want to take, you know, the temperature at first, but basically you put out, you take, you have a bowl of chocolate, you put out two thirds of your chocolate. And then you start tabling it. And when um, when the, you know, when the chocolate is getting, you don't want it to get solidified because then you've taken it too far, but you want to get it cooled down. And then you want to, once you get it cooled down to a certain temperature, you need to start agitating it. 
to basically um, form the crystals that you want. And then, um, so you'll get it quite cold down to like 80, 81, and then you'll get it, put it back in your hot bowl of chocolate, which should warm it up technically up back up to like 90, 88 or 90, if you're talking about dark chocolate. So, um, yeah, but when you're at, at first doing it, yes, you can, you can grab a thermometer. The only problem with thermometers is that it's going so quick, especially if a cold room, you're not going to have time to take its temperature. You're just going to be like, oh, it's done. And then you get it back into your bowl. The cool thing about tabling is like, if you don't cool it down or agitate it enough, you can just put a tiny bit more on the marble and agitate that and put that back in your bowl. And, um, and, and there you have it. You can just kind of do it a small amount at a time if you didn't. So it's, it's a little, um, it's funny. Once you know what you're doing with chocolate and, uh, it's not as, um, I guess, um, daunting or, um, overwhelming because they're both fixable, you know, both, both, both methods, um, there's pros and cons to both, you know. Do you feel like tabling is a, a reasonable thing for somebody to try at home? Like I have granite countertops, you know, I don't have a marble slab necessarily. Is it something you can do on your countertops or do you need special materials? No, it's something you can do on your countertop, but it's just like, I don't know. I just think at home, like the seating method is just, I don't know. I feel like it's just fine. <laughs> it works well. It's way more approachable for me. I can tell you that like the idea of like pouring it out on my counter and I just, in my mind, I'm like, ah, I don't know. It stresses me out, but the temperature and taking and doing the seating works for me. So I'm trying to figure out if I should be brave and, and go for it or just stick with seating. So mm. it sounds like seating probably is, is good for at home. Yeah. I think seating is great for at home. I just, <laughs> I think that, you know, there's no need to make a bigger mess and it works well. The only problem is that you can, you, you can overseed it pretty easily. So you just want to make sure that, you know, your chocolate's nice and, and fluid um, after you, after you seed it. And as you're using it, um, to dip, if you're dipping truffles or whatever, you know, it can definitely start solidifying just like, e even if you table it, this can happen. So you just want to, uh, make sure not to overseed it and overmix it and get it, it gets really thick and globby. And then you have to remelt it all the way down to get those seeds out. So, um, I think that would be the only hard part about seeding, but I think it's much more approachable and it's definitely easy and do it like five or six times and you just start getting it, you know, you get it down. So if you want to keep, is there any tricks to keeping it in temper while you're like, you're say you're dipping truffles? Well, never put it in direct contact with any sort of marble or granite. So you always want to put a towel underneath. Oh. Um, you know, you can, you can order these kind of um, like water bath melter things to keep it. They're very, they're normally pretty expensive to keep it at the right temperature. If um, all, all you would probably do if at a house, I know some people have gotten heating pads, but, um, and put that underneath with the terry towel over, over it. But what you have to understand is that that could easily, you know, if you don't have the right temperature, that could easily take it out of, um, temper because if it gets too hot, um, so if your chocolate has a really good temper, even if it gets over 92, you're, you're kind of, you're take it's, you know, you're taking it out of temper basically. So you have to be really careful. So I'd say like every, I don't know, every few minutes you're going to want to put it just over a double boiler and just bring it back to the working temperature of 90. Don't let it go above that. And then just start dipping again. I was just going to say like, you could do some sort of a water. You just really would have to uh, like a water bath kind of thing. You just would really have to have a thermometer in there and be looking at it all the time. I just, um, I'd be worried that it would, um, get out of temper. Level. Yeah. Yeah. It always gets very, very messy for me. Cause exactly your question, Jeremiah, that's what happens. Like I'll dip a couple things and then it starts to get very, very thick. And then I'm trying to hold the thermometer to see that I can warm it up enough, but not too much. And then, and then I'm trying to still dip because I don't want to like not dip while I can. And it, it, it gets very, very crazy. So 
maybe a heating pad that I could go on and off of or just be near the double boiler so I could pop it on and off. Yeah, just keep your double boiler on low while you're doing it away from the wherever you're dipping chocolate. Chocolate does not like water. And keep just always keep the sides of your bowl clean so it doesn't get to be totally messy. And, um, and just, um, and if your chocolate's getting too thick too quickly, like if you literally can only, um, dip like four or five, you've probably overseeded your chocolate. So chocolate shouldn't set up that quickly. But, um, but if your room is really cold, if your house is really cold, it will, even if it's perfectly tempered, it'll set up in like no time flat. So, um, it's good to have the heater on when you're dipping chocolates. Like it's good for it to be in like in like the seventies, actually not super cold. That way your chocolate doesn't set up on you. Well, that's good to know. Cause in my mind, I always feel like mm-hmm. cold for some reason. I think because you think marble's cold, they put chocolate on marble. I'll have a cold house, but so keep it kind of warm. Okay. Great info. So in the same vein, as you've worked with um, home bakers in your classes, do you have other advice or knowledge you'd like to pass on so that bakers can be more su- successful in their own kitchens? Yeah, well, I think something that's interesting to me is I don't really have a lot of fancy equipment. I think it clutters up your kitchen. I don't think there's a lot of use for it. Um, I really like using tools that I have. So I'm not a big person who goes out and gets tools that I don't, you know, like that I don't need. I think an offset spatula um, is really probably the best thing to have in in a kitchen along with, I mean, I have hand, I just got a KitchenAid. I had had hand beaters for 10 years because all of my equipment ends up at the shop. So um, I think, you know, I think that there's just always something in your kitchen that'll work. And I think that was my favorite thing about, um, I love being resourceful and I think it's a fun part of baking being like, okay, something, something in my kitchen has to work as this tool. And you can normally find things around your kitchen that do, if you just stop for a second and know that, you know, um, if something breaks, you always think you always got to think in your head what did they do a hundred years ago when they didn't have this, right? When they didn't have this tool or this and that they had to have used something. Right. And, um, I think that that is really, I think that's just something that to think about because it saved me a lot in baking. And I think it's, it's just kind of also a fun fun to be resourceful. Like (laughs) I asked my son for uh, a hammer the other day and he handed me this huge rock because he couldn't find a hammer. And he goes, they use these like 12,000 years ago. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, Oh, you got that from your mom. You like being resourceful. So I think that's kind of um, just knowing that there's always, yeah, there's always something that, um, you know, you can use up in your kitchen, like you don't have a piping bag, I'm sure you have a Ziploc bag, you know, you can cut the corner off of, and, um, you know, things like that. I guess the hardest thing would be not having, you know, like a star tip. I'm not sure what you would use for that. But (laughs) there's, um, and I mean, just as far (laughs) as tips in general, um, I mean, I think getting some really good cookbooks, are really good tools, you know, like getting good cookbooks that aren't fluff and they're good and all, you know, you can learn something from them too. I think that um, is helpful. You want to know my favorite cookbooks? Yes, you read my mind. (laughs) Okay, I'm like, what's that going to do for me to say that? Um, (laughs) Well, I honestly think Martha Stewart uh, has some um, very good ones out there. But the one I used to use the most was the one called pies and tarts. And I was successful with all those recipes when I was in high school, I baked my way through it um, one summer. And um, there is another book from Peter grueling. He was my chef at the CIA called um, chocolates and confections. Um, and it's so, so good. Cause they have like a good caramel sauce in there. Like it's just, and it explains everything really, really well. Um, and I just, 
I just like um, that. So those are two really good ones to have, you know, in your in your home pantry, I think for sure. So another really good one for home um, for home bakers, uh, desserts by Pierre Hermé. It's um, it's all in. It's it's really they did a really good job, and it just has some really. Um, it just has some really good basic, like sweet tart dough and cinnamon dough and, um, flourless chocolate cake batter. And they do it all in cups for us Americans in our kitchens. And, um, so I, I, I like that one for just the basics, like getting a good shortbread recipe, a good tart dough recipe, a good curd, good, uh, there's a really good lemon curd in that one. So I would say like, um, and they all just, they all, all of them have give really good descriptions too. So, um, and they kind of walk you through it. So those would be my top three to have in your kitchen for sure. Excellent. Thank you. That's really helpful. <laughs> so speaking of flavors, what are some of your favorite flavor combinations with or without chocolate? Um, Eureka lemon and bittersweet chocolate. Hands down. Yes. 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 I loved that you did lemon and chocolate on your yeasted waffle this year. Yes. I love um, that. I love, I love, um, I just love those flavors together. And if you want to add hazelnut, go, go for it. But I love lemon and chocolate together. I think they're sophisticated. They remind me of France. They remind me of Paris for some reason. And, I just think they're very bright and pretty together. And it's so funny. A lot of people think, oh, bitter and bitter or sour and bitter together. And it's like, no, it, they complement each other differently than that. And I think that it's, um, it's really nice. Another combo I like, you guys will see a lot, is Earl Grey and Blueberry. It's one of my favorite um, flavor combinations. I don't know. They just work really well together. Love custard and bourbon together. So, um, whether it's in ice cream or in regular custard, I love it. I love, 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 love bittersweet chocolate and sour cream. So another, or creme fraiche. So it's funny. It's like another, you know, bitter kind of and sour thing together that they just, uh, they just punctuate each other really well. They're really nice. Um, I could go on for days, but I do, I love, I don't know that, you know what, that, that I could like answer and I could just, I could go on, but I think those are some of my, definitely my um, top, top um, flavor combos. But one more would be honestly is um, brown sugar and strawberries together. They're just, they were made for each other, you know. They're like my pe- they're like my peanut butter and jelly. So uh, it sounds fantastic. I feel like that last one that you snuck in, the brown sugar and strawberry, you don't hear that very often either. And it just sounds so delicious. And perfect time of year. I feel like we're coming into that, you know, our brains are starting to shift towards strawberry again, which is fun. Well, the best thing to put out on your Easter brunch table is just take a pint of sour cream and about a three quarters or two thirds cup, however much you want of brown sugar and you mix it together and then you let it, you mix it together. It'll get really runny and then you kind of let it set up overnight in the refrigerator or you don't have to, it can be more like a thick dip or a runny dip. It doesn't matter. And then whole, just whole strawberries. And I always, so then people can put uh, strawberries and the dip on their plate and strawberries so my mom for dessert, um, we would always have um, uh, sour cream with the brown sugar and we dip strawberries in it. And that was our, that was our dessert. I loved it. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> um, so Jeremiah mentioned the yeasted waffle and I kind of followed along on his Instagram stories when he went to your breakfast. I would love to hear more about the chocolate for breakfast event. Yeah, um, that went well. It was busy and I'm glad everyone stood in line for it. But it was, yeah, it was just fun, something to do. Um, we, we, <laughs> we do it once every couple of years, you know, and the, um, the waffle, we, yeah, we do a yeasted waffle. We did a donut. We did a cream puff. 
So um, what else did we do? We did um, we did oh pano chocolat and one other thing. I'm like totally blanking on. It's been it's been a long morning apparently. Oh, we did the affogato. We did this breakfast affogato, which I love. And um, I call it breakfast affogato because it's a take on an affogato kind of style dessert. But um, yeah, it went really well. And it's just a time that we can come together and be creative and do something new. And it got a little crazy. So I don't know when I'm going to be doing another one. (laughs) (laughs) That was my next question. Besides the ice cream socials, what other events do you have coming up? We have Cupcake Day coming up on the 28th of April. And then after that, we're kind of going to chill out a little bit, do our ice cream socials and, um, you know, get ready for Christmas. No, I'm kidding. I won't be doing that. <laughs> I, all, all, my mind just goes straight to September. I'm like, oh, might as well, you know. Um, it's, it's a stressful, little bit of a stressful time of year. But, yeah, I think we're going to take it easy and um, – you know, do do some events, do some more classes, but uh, focus on the ice cream this year. It should be really fun. Excellent. And then Jam Day, is that going to happen maybe next year? Or when does that usually happen? Um, that normally happens every year, but I'm not sure to what extent we're going to be doing it this year. It's like, you know, I always think like if we have time and um, we just... We may or we may not. I don't know. <laughs> I hope we do. It's kind of fun. I might skip one this year. It's kind of fun to skip, but then it's extra exciting the next yeah. year. And, um, you know, we skipped a cupcake day. We didn't do one for two years. And then people, you know, were. Oh, I remember. Were like, I remember. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to do the tiramisu um, macaron gateau from, for Mother's Day this year. Ooh. And we did it last year. So we're going to do the same one because I think everyone's going to have a fit if we don't do the same one. Um, and yeah, just ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, seeing, um, seeing how that's all going to go this year with two stores. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Wow. And you've also started to do more entremet work, which I love entremets. Has that been well received? They're so special. Yeah, we've been doing those actually for quite a while. We skipped out on the Yulog last year, but we did the, um, we've been doing the Valentine's Day cakes for about nine years. And, the, and then the, get, um, the, gateau, the gateau macarons for Mother's Day for a few years. And then we've been doing the Yulog for almost 10 years. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was, uh, I mean, they are a really fun part of my job. I love them. And um, they're definitely special because I actually make them along with my executive pastry chef. So it's pretty awesome. That is and so beautiful. I mean, you can't, I don't know anywhere else in Sacramento where you can get something that spectacular. That's, it's beautiful. Thank you. All right. So Ginger, I'm curious if you could bake or make chocolate or any of your confections for any person dead or alive, who would you choose to make something for and what would you make them? The first person that came to my mind was Julia Child. The second person that came to my mind was Escoffier. And the third person that came to my mind was Patrick Roger. And only one of those people are living still. Um, so, um, Patrick Roger is my favorite chocolatier in, in France. Um, I'd say, well, I have already cooked for Julia Child. I made her, she came to the restaurant I was working at and had a, a cookie plate. So I'd say I would love to make a scoffier, my version of Mont Blanc. So I think, I think that would be my answer. That would be such a special thing. Uh, can you tell us about your version of Mont Blanc? Yeah, um, instead of like uh, a lot of times in Europe, you'll see um, a baked a baked meringue with whipped cream around it, and then that's all kind of encased in this. It's uh, like a chestnut paste, um, and I I do love that dessert a lot. A lot of times they're served in little cups in in Europe, or I'm sorry, in France. Um, I I really like um Amer- like doing american and european kind of um things mixed together and best of both worlds so i took out i would i've taken out the um 
crispy meringue and put an angel food cake instead along. Um, so it's more, more of a, a meringue still, still staying with the meringue idea, but then it's a cake and softer and it's a little less sweet than an actual baked meringue. And then we put the whipped cream on it with the, um, with the chestnut. And I think that a lot of Mont Blanc, they don't put salt in the chestnut cream. And I think it's really important. So either they're just leaving it out because it's a secret ingredient or what, I don't know. But so I think I would make that for him. Sounds delicious. I know your new boutique is still fresh, but knowing you, I'm sure there are more plans to come. So what's next for Ginger Elizabeth Chocolates? Honestly, nothing right now. I have, um, I have three children and <laughs> I um, am very busy with uh, the second store. Um, I'd like to do a cookbook, you know, in the next couple of years. But right now I just want to focus on San Francisco and getting, I don't know, spreading the word, you know. So that's kind of what I'm going to be focusing on. And yeah. There's a lot of people down down there in that area, so we gotta. <laughs> it's gonna take a little bit of time, but um, it's awesome. We're so excited to be down there, and up in Sacramento, and yeah, that's great. But nothing up my sleeve right at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the idea of a cookbook. That would be exciting. Yeah, I mean, just um, yeah. I think I think it would be really fun. I think it would be a little bit ways away, but I think it would be pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, your schedule to be with us. We appreciate it so much. Oh, well, thank you so much for thinking of us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great to learn from you and to sort of kind of meet you. And we really appreciate you coming on. Well, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.